You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 303, Understanding the Gospels, the Gospel of John. So we're wrapping up our series. We've been looking into the New Testament, looking at the Gospels, and really hoping to jumpstart our our Bible reading for the year. You know, sometimes we don't read something because we don't understand it. We don't really understand the background or what the writer's trying to say or do in their writing. And uh, you know, we're really hurting ourselves when we don't immerse ourselves in God's Word. And and as Christians, we know that, but yet it's still too easy to just kind of, you know, push the Bible aside. So so anyway, hoping to just kind of give you some background, some understanding to help you uh, get the most out of your Bible reading this year. So today we're, we've looked at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now today we're looking at John and we're going to explore and just do a little bit of background on John's gospel. So first of all, just like we've been doing, we're going to start off talking about the author a little bit. Background on the man himself. Who was John? Well, he's he, he's part of a brother duo that appears in the New Testament. Uh, James, who was probably the older brother because his name comes first. James and John were actually two of Jesus' first picks as disciples. Peter and Andrew uh, were, were the first pair, and it looks like James and John were the second pair of disciples picked. We know they were fishermen. They were part of the family business. They they fished with their father Zebedee. And, uh, you know, this might have been a little bit of a conflict. I mean, these these boys were, were leaving to follow Jesus, the, the rabbi, the supposed Messiah. They, they had no idea what was going to come of this. Um, and to just walk away from their dad and leave the family business behind, this could have created some tension in the household. We don't really know. Um, but other than the fact that he was a fisherman and he had a brother, we don't really know that much else about his background other than he lived in Capernaum along the sea or, or near the Sea of Galilee. Um, we, we do know this about John. Uh, history tells us that he's probably the only of the apostles, the only one of the apostles who died of natural causes. Um, all the other apostles were put to death um, in nasty and violent ways. They were martyred for their faith. John appears to have died um, maybe 90 or 100 years old. And uh, this was, uh, you know, we get this information from some of the, the church the church fathers and church tradition. And we also know that according to these same uh, documents that he spent his last years in and around Ephesus. Now, you know, Paul planted the church at Ephesus, but um, he wasn't the only one to labor there, just like so many of the other churches, even the church in Corinth. uh, He wasn't the only one to, he planted the church, but we know Peter 
um, probably spent some time there, Apollos. And, and so when you look at the church in Ephesus, we, we know that there were others that spent time there as well. And um, in, the, in these last uh, probably 20 or so years of his life, um, it appears that the Apostle John was planting churches in and around Ephesus. We also know that John wrote several documents in the New Testament. We've got his gospel. We've got three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then we have the Revelation the apocalypse. This one's fascinating because John tells us that he was on the Isle of Patmos when he wrote it. Well, this was a prison colony. Tradition tells us that um, the Roman government tried to put Paul to, or put John to death by burning him in boiling oil. But when they put him in the, the, the vat containing the burning oil, it had no effect on him. God protected him. And so they said, well, let's just exile this guy since we can't kill him. So, so there was some period of time before he went to Ephesus where he was serving um, on the Isle of Patmos in the prison colony, and um, that's when he received the, the revelation. All right, don't go away. We will be right back. I just wanted to highlight... Um, my book, Reflections on the Resurrection, I actually pull um, quite extensively from John's gospel um, in, in, in several different areas in talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, the, the resurrection of Jesus is the thing the gospel hinges on. Having a conversation with somebody the other day, and they were saying, well, how do we really know the gospel is true? How do we really know that Jesus is who he said he is? And I said, you know, for me, I break it down and make it real simple. Jesus predicted he was going to die and he was going to be raised from the dead. And if the guy who died and rose from the dead actually did it, I, you know, I pretty much believe everything else he said. But I, I, I get it. There's there's attacks on there's been attacks on the resurrection, the historicity of the the resurrection throughout history. Um, how do we really know that Jesus rose from the dead? Could this have been a hoax? Um, you know, could Jesus maybe not really have died in, during the crucifixion and he, uh, he woke up later and the disciples thought he'd been raised from the dead? There's all these crazy things that people have argued. And so th those are some of the things that I deal with in the resurrection, reflections on the resurrection. So it's, uh, I, I actually say in the introduction, the book is apologetic in, in the sense that we, 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 we deal with the arguments um, that have been thrown against the resurrection. So we deal with those arguments. It's um, educational. We, we talk about why the resurrection is so important. We dig into the scriptures and we show what each of the four gospels uh, have in common. And then even a few of the little things that might be different because of the emphases of the author. And then it's also devotional. It tells us why the resurrection is important to our faith. So check out Reflections on the Resurrection. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it. You can read the first chapter for free. And then click and buy it because I know you're going to love it so much. All right, so we've talked about John the Man, a little bit of his background. Now let's talk about his book. His gospel is so different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're often referred to as the synoptics, which means to see together. They, they have the same basic point of view. But John, man, John's gospel is so different from those other three. Uh, part of that is it seems to have been, been written much later. Probably later in the first century uh, was when John wrote his gospel. Um, 
you know, people have often said that, that John's gospel is uh, shallow enough that a child can, can, can wade in it, but deep enough for an elephant to swim in. And what that means is it's the kind of gospel that anyone can read and get something out of. That's why often you'll hear pastors or evangelists um, telling new Christians to read the gospel of John because it's easy to understand um, whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, you're still um, going to get so much out of it. Um, another thing about John's gospel is it's it's very meticulous in the way it's put together. And that's not to say that Matthew, Mark, and Luke aren't meticulous in the way they're put together, but um, you know, I often compare it to a snapshot versus a portrait. In, in, in Mark's gospel, which was the first one, Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel, you catch Jesus in motion. Um, it's like taking your, your your phone out and snapping a snapshot of somebody. They're in motion. You're you're getting them. Uh, you know, it's an action shot. But then in John's gospel, you get more of a portrait. You know, every hair's in place. Everything is just right. The lighting is perfect. And of course, that's an oversimplification. But but it gives you an idea of how John put his gospel together. Um, snapshot versus a portrait. So let's look at some of the distinctives of his book. As we've said, it was written uh, much later, uh, probably at least 20 years after the others. Um, John did not rely on them. I mean, obviously there's there's things that, that, that are in every gospel, but John's also got a lot of material that doesn't appear in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, as we said, John is much more reflective. Now this is interesting because He's had time to reflect on his relationship with Jesus longer than, than the other writers. And so we see a, a man who, who, who late in the first century, as he, as he puts this gospel together, he's reflecting on not only knowing Jesus in the flesh, but also knowing him now as the same, and the same as we do is through the Holy Spirit. So it's really fascinating when you read in John 14, 15, and 16 when he provides some of Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit. This is something that he's experienced, whereas maybe the other writers um, maybe hadn't had that much time to reflect on it because they were written um, not quite as long or, or, or you know, definitely not nearly as long as John took to write his book. Um, the key word, the key word that John uses over and over again in his gospel is believe. Believe. That word or a derivative of it is used almost a hundred times in John's gospel. It's very, very clear that that's what his goal is. In fact, he says towards the end of the book, I think it's in chapter 20, he says, um, these things are written so that you might believe. And the whole verse, he's basically saying, um, you know, I'm not trying to write everything that Jesus did down. But these things, these things that I have written, are written so that you might believe that He is the Son of God. And that's, that's the goal. And then the theme follows right along with that is that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And so throughout his book, um, you see John, uh, everything that happens in his book is pointing to the fact that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Um, conversations with religious people, conversation with his disciples, conversations with common people, the miracles, the signs, the things that he does. Um, these are all pointing to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And in the very beginning, in John 1.1, 1, 1, 
the very beginning of the book, it says, in, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's really reflecting back to, to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And when you look at those two passages of Scripture, John 1 and then Genesis 1, put them side by side, there's some very, very interesting parallels. Um, in John 1.14, it says, And the Word became flesh. So in the beginning, one, John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in John 1.14, it says that that Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, another distinctive of John's Gospel is the fact that there are seven I am sayings from the lips of Jesus. Um, and, and, and I would challenge you, when you know, read through John's gospel and underline these I am sayings. You know, stuff such as, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Um, I am the, the shepherd. I am the, I'm the good shepherd. I am the door. Um, you know, I'm the bread of life. I am, I am the, the resurrection and the life. Um, go go through and look at these these I am sayings because these are sayings really that could only be attributed to God, and uh, very very powerful stuff. Jesus also says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Very very powerful. And then not only do you have the seven I am stay, sayings that point. To the divinity of Jesus, but then you have seven signs. Um, the other gospel writers call them miracles, but John actually uses a different word. Um, they, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, use words that are derivative of of the word dunamis, acts of power. Um, John, however, uses the word simeon, which is um, the same word that that we would uh, translate sign. Uh, like a street sign or, or some sign that's pointing to something. And, and so the miracles that, that John uh, lists, again, all point to the divinity of Jesus, but they also point to a, a unique facet of God's character. For example, the first sign that John uh, presents is the turning of water into wine at a wedding. Now, I know my, my religious friends would much have preferred Jesus turn the, the wine into water, but, but it, it, that wasn't the case, and this was real wine, this was really good wine, and, and Jesus took water and turned it into wine. And, and we can look at that, we could go, why? What is the point of that? And there's, there's so many, there's so many things that, 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 that we can draw from this miracle, but it points to, to the fact of, of God's nature, wanting to celebrate with His people. Um, new wine uh, often is is symbolic of salvation and an abundant life, and and Jesus, um, you know, did this miracle um, at a wedding, and, and and weddings, you know, again the, the the parallels here pointing to the the marriage of the church and the Lord Jesus. The church is often referred to as the bride of Christ. So, some powerful parallels here, but that's the first sign. And then you go through these signs all the way through John's gospel. They get progressively more powerful. And then you get to the sixth one, the, the healing of a man born blind. Um, powerful, powerful symbolism here. And this is pointing to the fact that we 
um, apart from God, are all blind. And it's only in Jesus that He restores, gives us true sight. We only have vision when we, um, you know, come to Him, and He gives us eyes to see. Um, you know, powerful stuff. But then the last one, number seven, the the, the seventh sign is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And it's in this one, right before he does that, um, he's having the, the, the famous conversation with Martha, the brother or the sister of, of, of Lazarus. And, um, you know, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Now, that's powerful stuff. What is Jesus talking about there? We all Look, we all know we're going to die. Our physical bodies are going to die. We've all got an expiration date. None of us live forever in this body. However, as Paul tells us, Jesus has taken away the sting of death. And so we know there's no judgment for those of us who are following Jesus. And um, even though the physical body may die and will die... Um, we, we also know that our spirits are going to live forever, and we have the promise of an eternal body just like Jesus had. So, so right before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, I am the resurrection and the life, and then he raised Lazarus from the dead. And then we see a few chapters later, God raising Jesus himself from the dead, never to die again. Now, the difference there is... Lazarus was going to die again. I mean, Jesus was resuscitating him. He was raising him from the dead um, to let him live out his his natural life, the, the fullness of his natural life. But when God raised Jesus from the dead, it was never to die again. So just a quick recap. We looked at some of the background on John, the fact that he was one of Jesus' first disciples. He was a fisherman, um, he, he was probably the only one to die of natural causes, and he also was involved extensively in planting churches, uh, really up until the time he died. In uh, his, the last 20 years of his life, we know he was in and around Ephesus. And then distinctness of his book. It was written much later. It's very reflective. It's a very reflective book. John is one of those books that you can just kind of read and chew on it and meditate on it. Very, very powerful. Um, the key word is belief. That's his goal. He wrote to us so that we might believe. Um, the theme is that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And then, of course, we mentioned two of the um, unique distinctives. And there's so many more. There's so many things in John that we could talk about. But just just want to give you just a little bit of insight. The first, you know, we mentioned the seven I am sayings. And then we mentioned the seven miracles, which he calls signs. And these all, the seven I am sayings and the, the seven um, signs all point to the divinity of of Jesus. So dig into John's gospel. I know you're going to love it, but I'm going to stop here and I'd love to hear from you. Which gospel is your favorite? And as we're talking about John, what is it about John that stands out to you? Um, if you've read all the gospels, what is it about John's gospel that really um, is has been the thing that's impacted you the most? I'd love to hear it. Go to davidspell.com. Leave me a question or a comment in the comments section for today's post. While you're there, make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter so that we can stay in touch. Check out my books. Just click on the link up at the top, and uh, there's something there for everyone. And by all means, check out my, my blog, and let's stay in touch. Well, friends, look forward to seeing you again next week on Leading and Learning.